Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. During the pandemic, mindfulness became a lifeline for many Americans whose anxiety spiked as they balanced old and new obligations without the in-person support so many previously relied on to get through the day. For some, this came in the form of meditation or journaling, and for many, it spilled over into their diet. While the first few months of the pandemic might have been marked by frantic stockpiling of whatever was on store shelves or mindless snacking and a bounty of baked goods, most people quickly realized that a more intentional approach to nutrition was necessary, not only to keep off the extra pounds or the so-called COVID-19, but also to boost their immunity and support their general wellness. Those who adopted mindfulness during the pandemic skew significantly younger, wealthier, and are much more likely to have children than those who practiced before the pandemic. But according to a new report from Murphy Research, both sets are more engaged with fitness and nutrition than the average consumer, making them a valuable and potentially untapped demographic for better-for-you food and beverage brands. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Murphy Research's Director of Syndicated Research, Sarah Marion, shares insights from the group's report, Mind, Body, Breath, Exploring Modern Mindfulness and Its Role in Nutrition and Health. This includes guidance on how food and beverage brands can leverage the language of mindfulness and its benefits in relation to nutrition to better engage consumers and boost their bottom line without coming off as tone deaf or even offensive. So the idea of mindfulness is not new, although the speed with which the pandemic accelerated its adoption into the mainstream vernacular left a lot of room for interpreting the concept. And while this flexibility and even ambiguity is in keeping with the idea of mindfulness, it also can be incredibly frustrating to brands and marketers trying to engage with practitioners. Which is why Marion says that Murphy Research tightly defined the term as it explored its rise during the pandemic and its relation with nutrition and its potential for connecting with brands and consumers. Mindfulness can mean, it can mean so many things, right? Um, it's a lot like the word wellness, I think. <clears throat> uh, so for us, uh, you know, before we dig in, how we did the study is we defined it behaviorally. You have to make some decisions if you're going to, study something. Um, So when I talk about people who are mindfulness engaged or mindful consumers, what I mean is anyone that reports that on a weekly basis they meditate, um, do yoga for mindfulness specifically, um, track mindfulness with an app, or do some kind of gratitude ritual or journaling that's focused on mindfulness. But you could define it much more broadly. You could also define it much more narrowly. Um, So we like this definition because it kind of combines the behavior, which tends to narrow the kind of population size that you're dealing with, but it still allows consumers to um, kind of define for themselves whether a particular behavior is mindful or not, right? You might do some stretching at the end of the day before you get in bed. Um, is that mindful? You know, for some people it is, for some people it isn't. But uh, it, 
it can mean a lot of things. When we talk qualitatively to consumers who are, you know, fit our mindfulness definitions, um, they didn't define it behaviorally, obviously. They said things like, oh, it means you're calm, relaxed, you're focused on the present, you're kind of able to engage in the present. And then I think really importantly, it's um, they define it as uh, being aware of your kind of emotional reactions to things. What consumers talk about is like reactivity, um, when you're reacting to something and then uh, recognizing when that happens and then that allows you to uh, figure out ways to deal with it with the ultimate goal of being able to kind of cope more effectively and productively with stress, negative emotions, and even pain. So pain management is in the pre-pandemic where we heard a lot about mindfulness um, was often coming from the tech world. So the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, he's, he's famous for intermittent fasting, for doing these meditation retreats. Um, and uh, for him and for a lot of the uh, kind of trendsetters in that world, uh, mindfulness was a way to, was like almost relax more efficiently so that then you were more productive in your job. Um, so we had heard pre-pandemic about mindfulness as this way to um, make yourself more efficient, more productive, and a more positive person on the other side. But then I think during the pandemic, the, a different side um, kind of gained more cultural awareness, which was much more about dealing with stress, right? This was a really stressful, challenging time when as a society we were dealing with um, a stressor and a threat that's kind of existential, right? Uh, there's not a whole lot you can do about the pandemic. And I, uh, what we heard from consumers in doing this research is that mindfulness is kind of a pathway essentially to the serenity prayer, right, to accept what you can and cannot change and then focus your actions on the things you can change, which is yourself. Um, and then <laughs> the pandemic also kind of on top of that took away a lot of the outlets that previously helped keep people even keeled, whether that was going to church or um, seeing your family or going out to eat at the end of the week or a night out with friends, things that you used as a stress relief, all all those things were kind of taken away from us all at once. And so that allowed people um, kind of both the, there was uh, the space to understand what they needed on a new, in a new way, um, which we're, we're also seeing the culmination of that right now, right, with like the great resignation, um, uh, while also like leaving them kind of in the lurch in ways to deal with the, the stressors of the pandemic. So that's why we saw this big rise in mindfulness over the course of, especially like early on in the pandemic 2020. Just like the pandemic expanded the definition of mindfulness, it also expanded who practiced it, broadening its appeal from a base of older, more religious, and less affluent women to include younger, wealthier, and less conventionally spiritual practitioners across the gender spectrum. The people in our study who were engaged with mindfulness basically fell into two camps, and it's about 50-50. So 50% of them um, had been practicing before the pandemic, and those um, folks tended to be uh, older, so they were more likely to be older. They had a strong kind of female skew, and their practices really revolved around um, prayer and religious services. So, and that is kind of like the classic version of mindfulness, right? Um, so for them, it's about, uh, it's about religion, it's about spirituality in the religious sense. And then the other half 
are all people who came to it during the pandemic and uh, much more likely to be younger, so strong millennial skew, about half and half in terms of gender, a lot of them with children. Um, so the, the population of mindfulness um, consumers is really split. But if you compare it to the general population or even um, the number of people who are engaged with nutrition and healthy eating, uh, it's, it skews younger. So there's a large, the bulk of them are kind of millennial aged um, and like I would say early Gen X. People in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s, kind of in that crunch time in life. And then additionally, the... Um, while mindfulness did go up kind of population-wide, mindfulness in our behavioral um, definition, again, it really increased among people who are already engaged with health and wellness, so people who are already exercising or already looking for healthy foods. Um, and the overlap is almost complete. There's only, I want to say, like 5% of consumers who are only engaged with mindfulness and not with some other aspect of health and wellness. <clears throat> so to me, that says that mindfulness is something that health-engaged consumers add on top of fitness and nutrition um, rather than – so they come to it through fitness and nutrition rather than the other way around, right? Um, so if you are focused on that kind of health and wellness-engaged market – um, you're going to have, you should know that this is, you know, a good chunk of your consumers are also mindfulness engaged, and so they're, you know, getting messages from that side of the wellness world. In terms of numbers, um, if we're talking about food and beverage, we measure nutrition engagement, at, it's pretty, it's relatively loose. Um, if you take a vitamin once a week or, uh, you know, read about a healthy recipe once a week or more, then you qualify as nutrition engaged for us. Again, it's behavioral, but so a little bit more than 70% in any given month of the um, American gen pop, we, we call nutrition engaged. So they're, they're engaged even aspirationally with healthy eating, right? And among those folks, about half, 52%, are also engaged with mindfulness. Um, now, for the food and beverage industry, I think it makes a lot of sense to think of that 52% as um, kind of simply highly engaged health and wellness consumers, because in many ways, that's what they look like. Um, so they, they tend to skew younger. They um, are highly educated relative to kind of the average nutrition-engaged person. Um, they have higher incomes, uh, and they over-index in trend-setting health-forward categories, like, you know, alternative meat and dairy, like functional beverages. Um, so in, in many ways, they look like a, like a health-engaged millennial consumer. Um, <clears throat> and so it, you know, it might make more sense to think of them in that way rather than uh, as mindfulness consumers per se. Um, but the mindfulness part, I think, is important because if you are in um, one of these categories, if, if you're in certain parts of the market, like it is um, very available as a marketing play to make, and I think probably compelling um, in particular categories. While mindful consumers are a desirable consumer segment, given their high levels of engagement, likely influence over others, and preference for quality over quantity, which often translates to a willingness to pay a more premium price, 
Murphy's research report found that they actually spent less on groceries than the general population because they often outsource meals by taking carryout or ordering from restaurants and buying fresh and frozen prepared options. Still, Marianne explained that they are a high-value consumer for CPG food and beverage players, especially in the active nutrition categories and at natural specialty and club stores. They do spend more across basically all what we call active nutrition categories, and that includes bars, supplements, um, like diet or eating programs, protein powder, you know, ready-to-drink protein shakes, sports drinks. Um, they spend more across all those categories. And uh, part of that is because they're also more likely to be engaged in fitness, too. To get a little bit more granular, um, again, in, in keeping with that youthful age skew, but also with, you know, the rhetoric of the wellness community, mindfulness nutrition consumers um, – they're much more likely to prioritize organic and natural foods. It's probably not a big surprise. It seems uh, like a pretty easy-to-make uh, logical stretch. So a higher share of their groceries are organic. Um, they're attitudinally, they think organic is more important. Um, they're more likely to prioritize, like, sustainable foods, um, brand trust. Um, they're looking for foods that fit their dietary requirements, whatever those might be. Um, and they're less likely to focus on convenience costs or like the best deal. So in those ways, they are um, they care about quality over quantity, and quality is you know marked by all of those different things: organic, sustainable, um, fits with my diet, etc. They're more likely to shop at health food stores, natural food stores, clubs, specialty, and also online. And less likely at conventional and mass, so still. Plenty of them shop at those places, too. Um, and then uh, this is probably also not a surprise, but they're uh, more likely to follow basically every kind of diet or food plan, but the big leaders are vegan and vegetarian diets and then also intermittent fasting. Um, and those should not be a surprise either because both of those uh, kind of ways of eating are really entwined with mindfulness from um, – uh, going back to the spiritual practices that mindfulness has its kind of cultural roots in, right? <clears throat> so fasting, vegetarian diets, those are uh, part of kind of the long history of um, it's mostly Eastern spirituality that a lot of these meditative practices are coming from. Um, so you're, they're more likely to gravitate toward those kinds of things too. To better understand how consumers exercise mindfulness and how their practice influences their perception of brands, marketing, and ultimately purchases, Murphy Research divided mindful consumers into five universes or communities with distinguished goals, triggers, and activities. Of these, Marianne said that food and beverage brands most likely will have luck appealing to mindful consumers focused on emotional management and focus or concentration biggest one is what we call emotion management, um, which is just, again, it's uh, um, recognizing when you're reacting to things and kind of dealing with, dealing with those reactions um, more effectively and positively. So a lot of the goals are uh, just basic relief from stress, anxiety, depression. Um, going to sleep is a, very <laughs> a really big goal in that, in that world. Um, so, so, you could think of it as, um, you know, looking for calm, looking for relaxation, 
looking to de-stress. Um, and a lot of this, uh, people come to this universe out of just basic daily stressors, right? You have a stressful job. You're, you know, kind of stuck in a weird dynamic with all of your family at home driving you crazy. Um, some people come to it from therapy. You know, they're looking for strategies to help them deal more effectively with uh, negative emotions. And so this is a very easy one, I think, to make a play toward. Um, and we see a lot of products out there currently doing this. Um, the, there's a lot of a particularly functional beverages around relaxation, around getting, you know, calming yourself down, around stressing. Um, and this is also kind of the classic place where, you know, you come home and have uh, your cocktail at the end of the day, and that was what was emotion management. And I think the difference now is that mindfulness consumers um, don't feel like that actually deals with the problem. It just covers the problem up. And so you have to be careful uh, as a marketer and that that's, um, you're not, again, you're not solving the problem. You're helping support the consumer in their goals. Uh, the other great universe, I think, um, for food and beverage is focus and concentration. Um, this is, uh, I mentioned this before, um, pre-pandemic, there was a lot of emphasis on focus, like kind of efficiency, productivity, concentration, um, in terms of what mindfulness can do for you. Uh, and the goal of this is um, <laughs> it's essentially to do your job better, <laughs> to become more efficient at work, less reactive to distractions, um, and enhances your productivity so that then um, the ultimate goal is frequently so that you can set your work down at the end of the day and then it doesn't follow you elsewhere. Um, and this is a great place, again, for those functional products. Um, I mean, coffee is, has always been what our go-to for this, but now there's, all, there's a, you know, a whole variety of other types of um, kind of energy sources, you might say, beyond caffeine. There's all those clean energy drinks, um, which you know, promise activity through other types of, uh, I'm not even sure, what other types of ingredients, I would say. Uh, this is also where people use, you know, kind of a feeling breakfast or a protein bar, an energy bar, that kind of thing. Um, so very, very distinct need that, um, again, it's uh, going to help you to your goal, but you still don't want to say that you are solving the problem as a product. Food and beverage brands also could make a play for mindful consumers who come to their practice for physical health or to manage chronic pain and other conditions. But Marion says that this is a much smaller sub-segment, and it might actually be a better fit for the supplement industry. Well, there are a good number of people who come to mindfulness because to manage chronic pain or other types of um, uh, kind of chronic diseases or, um, or conditions. Um, so they want to decrease their reliance on medication and kind of cultivate positivity in the, in the face of whatever they're, they're dealing with, um, typically, again, a chronic condition, um, and decrease stress about it. Uh, so that is um, kind of less obvious and really more of a place where um, probably those categories that are on the line between kind of food, supplements, over-the-counter, 
Um, CBD clearly plays a big role here, but it, it can also play a big role in emotion management. Um, so it's a, um, a place where you can go, but again, you're not, you're not solving the problem necessarily, but you're, you're helping consumers toward their, toward their goal of living a, a, the highest quality life they can given their limitations. Marion says in the last two universes, self-improvement and spirituality are probably best for food and beverage brands to avoid because there's too much risk of coming off as tone deaf. Self-improvement is um, kind of improving general well-being, becoming less impulsive. It's a little bit more broad than uh, emotion management. Um, but uh, you talk, we talk to people who are looking to kind of manifest change in their own life and kind of become a more positive person. Uh, and that's, that's how we defined self-improvement. Um, and then spirituality is very similar, except it's about kind of explicitly connecting with the sacred, right, and kind of pursuing a feeling of purpose and meaning in your life. Um, these are probably places that it, you don't necessarily need to go as a product or brand in the food and beverage space. Um, Again, it would be very easy to craft a tone-deaf message there. Marion's caution about tone-deaf messaging isn't restricted just to consumers seeking self-improvement or spiritual connections, but all mindful practitioners. Because mindfulness is so has links in so many other broader cultural trends, um, it does make sense to you know take some caution before you go developing. Uh, you know, marketing messages or products that might appeal to this kind of consumer because it's very easy to come off as tone deaf. Um, I think as a movement, it's actually, it's like anti-materialist at heart, right? It's about um, fulfilling yourself in ways that consumption can't and understanding the, the limits of like what consuming things can do for you. And so it's easy to, I think it, it potentially easy for companies to uh, take that message and um, formulate it in a way that sounds really tone deaf to consumers, especially consumers who are engaged in this space. Um, so, you know, products don't bring mindfulness to mindful consumers. So your brand can't claim to deliver mindfulness to somebody. Um, they can, products can support mindfulness and its goals which might be, you know, positive nutrition, it might be limiting animal products, it might be, you know, feeling good about where your money is going and shopping your values, um, because mindfulness consumers are more likely to think about their actions and purchases holistically, and they do, like I said, care about quality over quantity. Um, and I think uh, <clears throat> it's very easy for marketers to, uh, they think of, Frequently we think of food and beverages, I include myself in this, right? We think of food and beverages um, as uh, things that will solve a problem. What problem is out there that we can solve? What job are we doing for the consumer? And so I think that a kind of a subtle twist is needed on that perspective um, because these consumers don't think of food and beverages as products that will solve a problem because products don't solve your problems. Um, so it's, it's not what job does this product do, but how can this product support me when I am doing a job, <clears throat> which is just a, a 
a slight twist on the way that uh, <laughs> we as marketers often try to create uh, messaging and communications because only you solve your problems, your problems, right? Though there might be products that can help you. Marion also noted that brands that reach out to mindful consumers need to offer more than a marketing campaign. They need to weave the ethos throughout their brand's proposition because consumers will see straight through inauthentic marketing. Likewise, she cautions brands to steer clear of overtly self-helpy messaging that can be a turnoff to consumers who are looking for support, but not necessarily a solution. Listeners who want to delve deeper into the role of mindfulness in diet and nutrition can find the full report at murphyresearch.com, where they can also learn more about the company's State of Our Health series, which is promoted as the largest syndicated health and wellness tracker that has continuously collected detailed data from consumers around health, fitness, and nutrition since 2018, so before the pandemic. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next week for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.